And so, uh, anyway, now let me just get into my, my God story with you. Well, I tell this message, first of all, grace in and work out. Would you say that with me? Grace in and work out. You know, God pours his grace into us and we work it out in its various forms. Let me just share you a story that kind of illust- helps illustrate that. My wife and I were attending a church. We were living in a community in Iowa called Ottumwa, Iowa. Not a place probably too many people have ever heard of. Kind of small, southern Iowa. And we were in this church. We were attending this church called Open Bible. And we had this group come from a Bible college in Eugene, Oregon, who came and did the service. They did music. They did the worship, you know, and they had testimonies, and they did the teaching. So it was like this whole group from the Bible college came and just took over the service. As we were enjoying the service and so forth, right afterwards, one of the guys that had been up on stage comes down off the stage and comes running to me. And he goes, do you remember me? And I'm like looking at him like, no, sorry, I don't remember you. You know, uh, by the way, I'm getting more of those, do you remember me? And I don't remember. (laughs) So I think uh, now at least I have an age. This is a number of years ago, so I didn't have age to complain about. But anyway, so he said, he said, you're the guy that prayed with me when I received Jesus Christ. And it was like, oh, now I remember. It was in another city four years earlier, two hours away where we lived. And at that time, I was doing uh, volunteer uh, youth pastoring at a church. And I was served as a counselor at a White Heart it was like a Christian band, a White Heart concert. They did an invitation. They had people come down forward, and then us counselors would pray with the people, and we'd fill out these little cards and so forth. And I remember now, this guy, he filled out the card. I prayed with him, and then we were asked to follow up with him. So I would call him. No answer. Call him. No answer. No return calls or anything. Back in the days of answering machines, you remember that? So, you know, sometimes what goes through your head is like, eh, I wonder if they were even serious about God. Well, here's the cool thing. He was telling me what he's doing. He's studying to be a pastor. He's going to Bible college. Thank you for praying with me that time. And then all of a sudden I remembered I had his slip that he filled out in the back of my Bible. And for a long time I would pull that thing out and pray for him, hoping that he would be following through with the Lord because obviously he didn't follow through with me. And I was able to give, his name was Chad, I was able to give Chad his slip that he filled out when he accepted Christ. Isn't that something? I don't know what he's doing now, but I trust he's following the Lord. He was talking about wanting to be a pastor and and so forth. But see, that's one of those cases where sometimes you wonder, okay, the the grace went in, they they prayed, they invited Christ in their life, but was there any change? Did anything happen from that? And see, it's a challenge for all of us, too, is that don't give up hope for those people you pray with. Sometimes we don't see things right away. Maybe they don't want to follow up with us right away. But you know what I know? That when I've prayed with somebody to accept Jesus Christ, and in, in the previous two services, a number of people have accepted Christ, here's what I know. They've just said yes to God. They want a relationship, and then they've told God. Now it's up to the Holy Spirit to say, okay, now you're my child. I'm going to be working on you. I'm going to be doing this. So here we are in Philippians 2. Starting verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
You know, this is one of those confusing verses because sometimes people will get hung up. But first of all, let's, before we really dissect this and, and go deeper into it, let's look at, first of all, Paul's talking about their obedience. And he might have been referring to, just earlier, he was talking about the obedience of Jesus. It said Jesus was obedience all the way to laying his life down. And as Christians, we are called to be obedient, not to the pastor, not to the church. We are to be obedient to God. What does God's word say to us? He has a lot to say to us. He's our father. He he wants to instruct us on how to do life. So the first point in today's message is this. Obedience is evidence of our faith in God. There should be something that changes when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. When we ask God for that relationship, something should change. Just like in Chad's life, at first I didn't sure see anything. Four years later, he's studying to be a pastor. He's going to Bible college. He's he's traveling with a group of people doing ministry. Things that begin to change. So our obedience is really, it's an evidence. Now, it's not the obedience that saves us. Remember, and this is where it gets confusing because you look at verse 12, it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Some people can misapply that and make it sound like we are saved by our works. We have to, that's not what it's saying. We are never saved by works, but we are saved to do good works. So the works flow from our salvation. They're not to be saved. And I'll illustrate that uh, with, more completely with another verse. It's the, the in and out. You see the... By the way, that, anybody like In-N-Out? If you go out to California, if you've never had In-N-Out, you're really missing it. Boy, I don't. Even, I know it's getting close to lunchtime. <laughs> anyway, but fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, the Scripture says that God doesn't give us this, He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. So it's not like a bad fear. This is like, you're taking this really serious. There's such a reverence, like, I want to make sure I'm doing what I'm called to do. Now that I'm saved, now that I've got my salvation, what am I supposed to be doing? And look at verse 13, because it says, for it's God who works in you, that's where I get that grace in, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So what are we supposed to do? Fulfill his good purposes. That's what we are supposed to do out of our life. Now that we're saved, we don't be like, okay, I got this ticket. I'm going to heaven. Now I can just live any way I want. I can do anything I want. Oh, I got this ticket. I'm going to heaven. No, remember, obedience to God is an evidence that it's a true faith. What has changed in your life? Now, we're not perfect, and we're all work in progress. I've been walking with the Lord for 42 years. And over that 42 years, I've changed a lot. I think about what I was like in those first years. I was still pretty messy. But God was just continually making changes. And he's still making changes. And i still got a ways to go. But you will always be working on things, but things begin to change. We start to fulfill his purposes. I love verse 12 and 13, too, because it's a great balance. Sometimes churches swing from one, uh, I would say, unbalanced part of like the uh, divine sovereignty, like it's all God, it's all God, you know, it's just like it's this, this all God's grace and we don't have nothing to do. And then there's others that swing to the other side if they know it's all about our choices, it's all about what we do, human side. 
Here you see in verse 12 and 13 this balance. We believe in the divine sovereignty, and we also believe in the free will of man. And some people want to say, no, it's one or the other. The Scripture teaches both. Right here in verse 12 and 13, you see in verse 12, it's the free will of man. You work out your salvation. You be obedient. But in verse 13, we see it's God who's working in us and to act in order to fulfill his purposes. So we see the sovereignty of God, his purposes, but we also see this partnership. And throughout Scripture, you'll see that partnership. So here's our next point. Serving God and others is an outflow of God's work in me. If God's really working in you, there should be an outflow. And what should that outflow be? Well, his purposes, his work taking place. And we'll talk more about that. You see on the screen Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And I think this illustrates it really well because it starts in verse 8 saying, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, this not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. So we know for sure, based on those two verses, we are not saved by works. It's by faith in his grace, his work, what he did. But then sometimes people say, well, if I'm not saved by works, does that mean I just do anything I want? Some people say, no, what about all these good works things? See, most people do not understand verse 8 and 9 because they say, I'm getting to heaven because I'm a good person. You're putting it all based on your works. But we are to do good works. Look at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're not saved by good works, but we're saved to do good works. Everybody see that? Not saved by works, but we're created to do good works. This is the working out our salvation. Out of our salvation will be good works flowing forth. And it's like this. I've got this little electrical wire here, and uh, i got on one end, i got the, the black uh, hot wire, the white common, and the... Uh, the uh, copper uh, ground wire, and on both ends I have those. And for this thing to really do anything from an electrical standpoint, this has to be connected to, to the power source, okay? It has to be connected to electricity for this, this to be able on this end to be able to be connected to something that needs electricity. You have to have it flowing through. And it's, it's like, this is what we are like. We are connected to God, and as we're connected to God, we have a power source to do these good works. So grace in, what? Work out. You're starting to get it, right? Grace in, work out. And it's a flow. Sometimes people stop being connected to the Lord, and they're still trying to do these works. And that's what religion is, really. Not being connected to God, trying to do good works, trying to earn points with God, trying to somehow earn your way to heaven. And you'll get frustrated. You'll, you'll get tired you will be like burned out because now we're not created to be do life that way we are to be that overflow of god purposes of him pouring into us so here's our next point you see god gives us purpose and meaning in life but then we have to ask ourselves this question am i serving god or myself i know many christians their focus is serve me I want to be served. And it's not like my focus is, how can I serve others? The most joyous people I know who have an others first mentality, God first, then others. 
The most miserable people are the people that are looking for them. Somebody has to serve me. Because that's selfishness. And God will never bless our selfishness. We will always feel like we're coming up short. We will miss out. So God gives us a purpose. He gives us a life. Remember, we just read there that we're His handiwork. We are created to do good works. And He even prepared them in advance for us to do. Now, one of the ways that we look at um, doing these good works, doing, doing, working out of our salvation, is something called discipleship. And discipleship is really uh, us following Christ. Once we become a believer, the grace is in, now we begin to change. We begin to... And I, I just want to contrast this. We as a church have a mission statement or a vision statement. I, I think they're one and the same myself. And our, our vision statement is this, that we, as a church now... We exist to glorify God, so that's the first thing, by being a loving community where people are saved, set free, discipled, empowered, and sent out to fulfill their God-given calling. That's what we do as a church. But each of you now, that's, that's Calvary Chapel, what do we do as an individual? This is where it comes down to me or you. We have what we call seven discipleship dis- uh, disciplines. And I just want to take a little time to go through it. We talk about it from time to time. As a leadership team, we felt like we need to even talk about it even more because this is really helping you become a disciple. How do you work out your, disciple, your, uh, your salvation? How do you do that? Well, first of all, we gather to worship. So all of you, hey, you can feel really good if you're sitting here right now, you gather to worship. And I know some of you are online and you'd like to be here. You can't because of health reasons. I understand that. Maybe you're traveling. We're thankful that you've... Uh, you're here with us on, online, but if you're at home and you can be here, I just want to encourage you to come. The scripture says, don't forsake the gathering together, the assembling of the believers. Don't forsake that. So we gather to worship. That's the first thing. Then we spend time with Jesus. This is where you, as an individual, spend daily time with the Lord, your prayer time, your time in the Bible. You know, for me, I start my morning with it. I, I have a prayer time. I have a time where I'm in the Bible. Right now, I'm working through the back book of Daniel. God's speaking to me. I'm writing things down in my journal. And I think another aspect of it is worship. Your worship is a time of spending time with Jesus. One of the things that I started back in January, and I love it. I do it every, pretty much every morning. I make a 30-minute walk in our neighborhood. I put my Apple ear pods in. I have my playlist of worship songs. Most of them are ones that we do here at the church. And as I'm, as I'm playing that, I'm either singing along with it or I'm praying and talking to God and I'm just having a good old time. Neighbors might think I'm a little crazy. But that's a whole other story. But you know what? It's just to worship, spending time. So that's, that's the next thing is to spend time with Jesus. Connect with community. That's why we talk about groups all the time. Being in a group. You can't connect in community in a, in a large setting like this. You have to be in a smaller setting. 12 people in a living room, 15 people in a classroom, whatever it might be. For some of you, your community might be your serving group that you're in, which you see that's another thing I'll get to in a moment. But connect with community where people know your name. They can pray for each other. When somebody's in a need, you're helping each other, visiting the hospital, bringing meals. That all happens in small groups. You know, sometimes people, you know, say, they call the church, like, you know, well, I was in the hospital and nobody, nobody brought me a meal when I got home. Like, well, 
Who is your group? Who you're connected with? It's like, it's like the church building does not do that, okay? It's community. It's groups. Next, fight for freedom. This means that we have biblical counseling. We have small groups uh, of support groups that we help people get freedom from whatever they might be going through in life. Some of you have lost loved ones. We have a tremendous grief share ministry. We have people coming from all over the community that come because they, they need help going through their time of grief. We have all kinds of groups for different addictions and hang-ups and habits and so forth. We want to fight for freedom. Our biblical counseling does that as well. Join a serve team. Be on mission with your life and using your gifts for the Lord. Man, don't you enjoy our worship band? They're just about all volunteers up there using their gift. I just met the, I just met the drummer today. He's fairly new to the church. I think he'd been doing it maybe three times or so. I mean, it was like incredible drummer. He's using his gift here at the church. It's not because we're paying him, okay? He's just an awesome, when people are using their gift, our guest services, people in the, in the bookstore, in the cafe, people right now ministering to our kids, our mentors in our youth ministry, people that are helping you in the parking lot. And some of you are saying, well, that seems like it's all focused on the church. Do you know we have a lot of our serving is outside of our church, where we take groups of people and we help in other nonprofits, other gospel-focused areas outside the church? There's evangelism teams that go out, like to the bus stops. There are people that go and serve meals at Daily Bread and Cedar. They do things there. I mean, all over. Women's shelters. There's places for you to serve where you can use your gift, your, your calling. Then there's live on mission. This is where you just share the gospel. You share your testimony, your life with people. You might have to go across the street, maybe cross the aisle at work. Maybe across the ocean on a mission trip. You know, we just have our missionaries just arrived for furlough right now from U- Ukraine. They are still doing ministry in Ukraine. Amen? And I just saw them in the 9 o'clock service. They're here. Obviously, they're here for a little break, but then they're going right back there. They're not letting a war stop them from living on mission. You know, and, and so, and then invest your resources. Giving generously to people in need, to the work of the Lord here, to other ministries and missionaries, that we don't want to be stingy. We don't want to be hoarders. Has God blessed you? Be generous. And when you, when you really learn generosity, you'll find that you can't outgive God. God will pour back into you because he knows he can trust you. For some people, if he poured blessings into you, it would ruin you because you would turn your back on God and you'd be so self-absorbed with all that. But if he knows he can trust you and you can be generous, watch what will happen. He'll just continue to bless you with more and more. So those are our seven discipleship disciplines. These are practical ways that, as we talked about, we can work out through our salvation. Now, we get into verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. It's almost like God knew, like, okay, when you start talking about things you're going to have to do, you're going to have to work to fulfill God's purpose. I'm not going to do that. Pastor said to be in a small group. Nobody's going to make me be in a small group. You know, it's almost like God anticipates that when we start talking about things like that, people are going to grumble and complain. I'm going to argue with you. See, so God has to tell us, don't do it. Now, look look what else he's going to say. He says in verse 14, do everything without grumbling or complaining, or, or excuse me, arguing, 
so that you may become blameless and pure. In other words, it's part of our becoming more like Jesus, more of our discipleship. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Sounds like our times, doesn't it? Warped and crooked generation, is that the times that we're living in? And you know, the worse it gets, the easier it is to complain, right? But God's saying, don't do that. Don't complain. Be a part of the solution instead. He says that then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And you will hold firmly to, to the word of life. In other words, as we hang on to the word, as we hold on to that, we will shine in the face of darkness. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. What Paul's just saying there in the last sentence, he's saying, on the end times, I want to be able to say, man, that work in Philippi, those people got it. They're now being rewarded. It wasn't in vain. They really got it and made a difference. So being, I know this, this is probably the hardest part. And talking to people from the other services, the hardest part is this whole thing of, of, of complaining, grumbling. Don't we all do it? You know, the children of Israel, they were constantly doing it. Remember, they're led out of bondage of Egypt, of slavery, and they're put in, and now all of a sudden they're grumbling, complaining over the food, over the water, and, and so forth. As Christians today, what do we do? We just type messages online. We just grumble and complain on social media. Then we wonder why sometimes people don't want it. It's a, it's a bad witness. People say, well, you're no different than anybody. We have a chance to stand. It reminds me of a story of a man who, uh, he, was a, he, was, he complained big time to his veterinarian. It all started by him going to the vet, carrying his dog. His dog was bad shape. He was in there. I need to see the vet right away, right away. My dog's in bad shape. So he takes him back, and the vet puts the dog on the table, does an exam, said, sorry, sir. I'm afraid your dog has died. And the man said, I can't be, I can't be. He was really healthy and just fine just not too long ago. He said, I'd like a second opinion. <laughs> Veterinarian says, okay, I'll go in the back. He brings out a cat. Puts a cat on the table. Cat sniffs the dog's head. Walks across the body to the tail area. Another sniff. Now, now a meow. Vet says, yep, cat agrees with me. Your dog's dead. Hands him a bill, $350. $350 to tell me my dog is dead? He said, well, my fee was only $50. The other $300 was for the CAT scan. <laughs> yeah. Wow, one of the few jokes I ever get claps on. I actually had a vet in the previous service who said you should, they could have brought out a black lab, too, and then they could have done some lab work. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but grumbling, complaining, it just seems to come natural to us. But we can act differently. I, I liken it to this. I pulled this out of my landscaping. Um, see if I can make it. Okay. You all know what this is. Solar light, right? And when it gets dark out, the light comes on, but what happens if this thing is not in the sun? When it gets dark, it's not going to come on, and this is like us as Christians. I've had this happen before, where all of a sudden, the plants start to kind of grow, and it starts to put too much shade here, 
And then I look and I say, oh, that light's not going on. Well, it's because it wasn't receiving the sun. And as Christians, we're like the solar light, that we need to be in the sun, S-O-N, so we can give light when it is dark. Everybody get it? If we're not, if we're not spending time in the sun, then when it gets dark, there's no light. We're no different in the world. So we have to make sure. This is part of that. Again, that working out our salvation. When we grumble and complain and we seem just like the world, nobody's attracted to that. See, God's given us great opportunities. Look what it says in James 5, verse 9. Don't grumble and complain against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. I like when God can be stronger than me. (laughs) He's saying, you're going to be judged if you grumble and complain. And then he says this, the judge is standing at the door. In other words, God doesn't want us being this way. And so here's a little statement I came up with. I know it's kind of a tough statement, but I'm not going to apologize for it because I really believe this is true, is that when we complain, we are saying in our heart, we wouldn't say this out loud, but we're saying in our heart when we complain, if I were God, if I, were God I would do it better. Am I right? No matter what your lot of life is, what you're going through, when we're complaining about things, we're, we're, we'd be like, you know, if I, somehow... Things aren't right, so if I was God, I would do it differently, or I would do it better. Be careful. The judge is at the door. He doesn't want us to be that way. I I know sometimes Barb and I are watching TV, and we'll look at a person, maybe a reality TV show or a singing competition or, you know, like America's Got Talent, one of these different shows where you have real-life people, not actors on, and we'll just say, I bet that person's a Christian. You can just tell by their demeanor how they handle things. Do you ever do that? You can say, I bet they're a Christian. They just have a glow about them. They look differently. And they're not even saying the, they're not even sharing the gospel. They're not even talking about Jesus. They just look differently. We have that opportunity to shine. But when it's all bright and light, we don't really stand out. You know when we stand out is when things are dark. And when we're dark is when it's easiest for us to complain and grumble. So be careful that we are not like that. Let's keep going. Verse 17. It says, But even if I'm poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This whole thing about a drink offering. If you were here Wednesday night, Pastor Dave Barnes did another great teaching. He's been been killing it on his teachings on Wednesday nights. But he talked about the drink offering. The drink offering was something established in the Old Testament, and it was like a a quart of wine that they would be poured out on the altar, on the sacrifice. As it's being burned up, they would just pour that out. And I got thinking about that. The other sacrifices, oftentimes the priests could eat some of the meat from the sacrifices. Sometimes the people would be able to eat. But a drink offering was completely gone. It was completely spent, so to speak. It was poured out. Nobody could benefit from that. And what Paul saying, my life, I'm so surrendered. I'm so gone. I'm like a drink offering. I'm poured out. I'm coldly spent. He's given his life to Christ in that type of way. 
And so I got thinking about that. And this is another one of those joy secrets. I did a few of them last or two weeks ago when I was teaching. But here's a joy secret. You can't lose what has already been given away. Now think about that for your life. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've been given, you know, when things don't go your way, we're not going to feel like we're losing something. Because we've already been given, given away. Uh, I remember two weeks ago I talked about an example of a car getting scratched. If you were here, you remember that one. Well, you think about this. Let's say you just sold the car. Somebody else has been, or you gave it away. It's now somebody else's problem. When it gets scratched by next, you don't care. It's not yours, right? In our own lives, this can be the same way. When we see that we've given our life to Christ, it's like we are poured out. And we can still have joy. We can still be glad. Because we're, our confidence is in Christ. It's not in our own circumstances. He's in charge. This is the, the type of faith that Paul had. And it really, to me, it, it really challenges me to have that type of faith. Now let's keep going. Verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So... That I, uh, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. See, Timothy was like his protege. It wasn't his real son, but it was like a, his son in the faith. He was mentoring him. And he was traveling with, and if you remember when we opened the book of uh, Philippians, it was actually said the letter was coming from Paul and Timothy. Well, likely Timothy might have been penning it. Paul was giving the words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, obviously. But he says, I have no one like him. He has a genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy had proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things are going with uh, go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. What Paul was saying there in the last part was, you know, I'm still in prison, but I hope to be able to get out. I hope then once I get out, then I can come and see you. But I'd also would love to send Timothy, but I'm not sure I can send him quite yet. And I, I was thinking about Timothy, and I, I think one of my favorite verses about Timothy comes about from his family upbringing. Look, look on the screen on 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's saying this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Generation to generation, legacy, passing your faith on. How can you do that? Timothy had a grandma and a mom who was teaching him. He got his start in life. How many grandparents do we have in the audience? Grandparents, raise your hands up high. You have an important role. A lot of parents I know, but grandparents, sometimes we think, well, our time is done. No, we have grandkids over at the house all the time. Just last week, we had sleepovers for two of them. The week prior to that, another two of them sleepover. We love spending time with our grandkids. We pray with them. We talk to them about the Lord, and we, we have a lot of fun, too. In fact, one of the things we just started with them, that I started with them, is instead of giving them a little bowl of Cheetos, let's, let's turn it into a game. Hide, hide the Cheetos. 
So I take, they have to go off and I hide them all over the house and they have to go find the Cheetos to find them. Oh, they love it. And our three-year-old grandson, he looked at us the other day and he says, can we play hide the cookie? (laughs) (laughs) They learn. Kids are like sponges, right? But how could we not pass our faith on? I'll tell you a big one. If you claim Christ and you talk about Christ with your words, but your life does not match up with it, it's very confusing to kids. Most of them will say, I don't have anything to do with that. It's hypocritical. They're, they're smarter than you think they are. In other words, our words have to match with our lifestyle. And you might say, well, I'm not perfect. None of us are. So even when we fail, we have an opportunity to show our kids, how do we fail properly? So Timothy, he was learning so much, not only from Paul, but I want us to look on the screen for a moment some faith attributes we see in Timothy's life. First of all, he was willing to go and serve others. He was willing to go to Philippi. Paul was willing to send him, but he was willing to go serve others. He had a concern for how others were doing. Paul said, I had no one else who had such a concern for you. He more focused on the interests of Jesus than himself. He was tested and had proven character. He served in submission to a human leader. In other words, he acted as a son to Paul. He was willing to, to obey Paul as a human leader. And he was gospel-focused. He was willing to do this for the advancement of the gospel. Now, this is an important thing for all of us. Why do we serve? How can we serve? So often I meet people that nobody's going to tell them what to do. They are not submissive to anyone. It's a, almost an anti-submissive attitude. Well, God has called us to be submissive. It's an attribute that he puts into us, submissive to him, but also to other leaders. And and we see uh, when the disciples were, like, uh, fighting for a position. You know, one of them wanted to be on the right, the other one wanted to be the left. You know, they were, like, fighting for position. You know, Jesus had to just stop them all. In chapter 20, verse 26 through 28, he says this to Matthew. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That word slave is a bond servant. It's a slave by choice. It's not like the slavery that we had in the early days of America. He said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus gave us an example Remember when Paul was poured out like a, a drink offering? Jesus, he gave his life as a ransom for us. He served. He was submissive to the Father. Remember he said, uh, if there's any other way, Father, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Some great lessons in the life of Timothy. You could do a huge Bible study just on the life of Timothy. He's a, he was a great guy, but let's keep going. Now we're going to look at another guy. Another person who was with Paul, um, Aphroditus. Verse 25, I think it's necessary to send back to you Aphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger. See, he had come from them, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and he is distressed because you heard he was ill. In the original language, that word distress is the exact same word when it talks about Jesus sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in so much anguish. 
There's so much distress. This is what the same word here is that he was in anguish, distress for his friends and family back in Philippi because they had heard he was ill and had great concern for him. Verse 27, indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. See, Paul was saying, man, I would have been extra sorrowful if he would have died. So God spared me. Not only did he spare his life, but he spared me that sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So Aphroditus, what a great another example. See, in those days, if you went to prison, you likely didn't eat if you didn't have friends and family coming and bring, bringing you food. It's like some of the places we go and do mission work in. When you go to the hospital, if you need medication, they don't have it there at the hospital. Your family has to go out to a pharmacy, buy it, and bring it to you. There are some places in the world where if you're in a hospital, the food that you're going to get is because people brought you food. They don't have a cafe and bringing you meals and so forth. You don't really understand what most of the world is so different than what we have here. So in this particular case, Paul's imprisoned, and people had to, from these other churches, bring support to help him to be able to live. He was there probably for a couple years. And as a result, this Aphrodite, he got really sick. For the sake of doing God's work, he almost died, but God had mercy on him, which I want to stop for a moment and just talk about because sometimes people, you can get really discouraged when you're praying for someone who's sick and doesn't get healed. You ever get that way? Some of you right now maybe are ill. You're saying, God, why don't you heal me? You healed this guy. I don't know why that happens. In Scripture, Paul was not healed himself, this great man of faith. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says he had a thorn in the flesh, some type of illness, and he prayed three different seasons of prayer, and God didn't deliver him. There was another guy in the Scripture named Trophimus. Trophimus in 2 Timothy 4, he was not healed. And actually, Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, he had an illness and was not healed. Not everybody's healed. When Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, he healed one person, and the whole place was full of people that were sick. I don't know why he chooses to heal some people or not, but here's what I can tell you. The Bible tells us to pray for the sick. That's what we are told to do. So when somebody is sick, I pray, I pray in faith, and I believe that God's going to heal them. One way or another, we're going to be healed. We're either going to be healed here on earth, or we're going to be healed in heaven. The new body. But don't be discouraged if you don't get healed here on earth. You still continue to keep believing and trusting God. Here was a case where a guy was healed. But when I was thinking about this guy, Aphrodite, I'm thinking of like how he was serving and so forth. Remind me of this passage in 1 Peter 4. You see it on the screen. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. I, I think Peter has to say this is because we will all sin against others. 
Your family will sin against you. You will sin against your families. Your coworkers will sin against you. You will have people that come against you. We're all human. We make mistakes. I hope they're not intentional, but there are times where we will, we will hurt people, and, people, and we will hurt them, and they will hurt us. But look what it says. Love covers over a multitude of sins. What we are called to do? To love others. This is offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Well, we've already talked about grumbling, right? I think God has a message for us about not grumbling. What are we supposed to do? Love, offer hospitality. This is each of you should use whatever gift. We've already talked about that. We all have these gifts, these opportunities in our life. We have received to serve others. That's what we're to do as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Remember the, remember the title? Grace in, work out. Here you see that we are faithful stewards of God's grace. Picture this, the flight attendant on a plane. They used to call them stewardesses. Now they're male and female. They're, they're just flight attendants, I guess. Picture them walking with a, their cart and their tray, giving out God's grace. They're faithful stewards. They're giving it out. They're serving. That's what we are to do with our life. How do we do that? By loving others, overlooking those offenses, offering hospitality, but having the right attitude. No, without grumbling. Use the gifts that we have to serve others. And by doing that, we are faithful stewards of God's grace. That's what we've seen in this passage today. So I'll leave you with this last point. Invest our time and treasure serving Jesus and others. The benefits will last forever. See, the only thing you can take with you to heaven, the only thing is other people. We do that by gospel focus, by sharing our life, by serving God and making a a difference. Just like that opening story about Chad. One little thing, being at a concert, being a counselor. One little thing by being there to pray with him when he accepted Christ. You know what? Heaven is going to be so full of all these stories of people. You remember me? Like, no, not really. Let me tell you the story. You gave money to that missionary who took it and served on the mission field, and I came to Christ, and you helped. I think we're going to find all these different connections. God's going to, we're going to be full of understanding. We're going to be like, wow. You know that time you were serving as a guest service person, and I came in broken, and you just wrapped your arms and hugged me and loved me? It made such a difference in my life because I was ready to end my life, and now here I am following Christ. All these different stories because we are faithful stewards of God's grace. Grace in, work out. So I bring it back to all of us. How are you doing with that? Are you a faithful steward of God's grace? Or are you sitting on the gift? You know, Jesus had a strong message. He, he told a parable about giving three guys different, he called them talents. One went out with their talent, made more. Another one did the same thing. But one, he just kind of hid it. You know what Jesus said to him? You're wicked. Depart from me. You're wicked. I don't want that to be said of my life. I don't think he wanted that to be said of your life. God wants us to use what he's given to us for his purposes. Will it cost you? Yes, but the rewards are eternal. Many people are spending their time, their energy towards things that are someday just going to burn away here on this earth. 
Let's not be one that all of our focus. Yeah, there's a lot of things we have to do here on this earth. But let's make sure we are using the gift that God has given to us. Some of you may not truly be disciples of Jesus yet. Well, that's where it starts. And we're going to pray in a moment. If you're not, you haven't surrendered your life to Christ yet, that's where you begin. If you try to do the things that I've talked about in this message without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're trying to work out without the grace in, you'll be frustrated, you'll be angry, you'll give up, say, I can't do this. It's got to be grace in, God pouring into you, and then you can work out. Amen? I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment. Some of you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, but you can. This can be your moment, just like Chad had at that time, at that concert, when he gave his life to Christ and everything began to change. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we just uh, thank you so much for your word. You are so wonderful as you speak to us your word. Challenge us now, Lord, as we take this message of grace in and work out and help us to find your purpose in our life so we can fulfill it. Help us not to grumble or complain, but help us to shine brightly in the dark world that we live in. Help us to serve others, love others, even if it's at great cost to our own lives. And we know we can even have joy in the midst of all that. And I just pray right now, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ today, just raise your hand up high. I want to lead you in a prayer right there in your seat. Yep. Others. You're not joining the church? We don't even have membership here. Okay? In the back there, I see that. Yep. Yep. Yes, numbers of hands. More than I can acknowledge. That's awesome. Yes. Balcony, looking up there. I know there's got to be some up there. Okay. If you've raised your hand, put your hand down. I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's not some magic words in this prayer. What it is, it's the meaning of it in your heart. You're crying out to God. If you want to put it in your own words, you can. But I just want to lead you because you're saying to God, I want this relationship with you, and this is how it's going to happen. So just pray this under your breath. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. But I also know that Jesus came to this earth. That he died on the cross and rose from the dead on the third day to pay for my sins. That Jesus paid my penalty. I believe in you, Lord. Please forgive me of all my sin. And send your Holy Spirit to live in me so I can follow Jesus from this day forward. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Can we give a hand to those that just prayed that prayer? Awesome. Awesome. And I'm going to ask you one more thing. At the end of this song, we're going to have a time where we'll dismiss at the end when others are leaving. If you raise your hand and prayed that prayer, we'd love to congratulate you. Meet you right up here at the front. We'll have a prayer team. I'll be down here. We just want to uh, just, just, just love up on you.
the most important decision you ever made in your life. So would you stand as we get ready to close in a, one last worship song. Let's sing together. He's such an awesome God. Such an awesome God. So is so good. A couple things I just want to let you know about. Um, one, I didn't mention announcement time because you'd all be having your phones out and doing it instead, but uh, our app has been updated. Some of you don't have our app. You really need it. It is really cool because the new features that they've added are really going to make your experience much better. You can follow along with all of our notes here on the app, real easy to navigate. You can go back to messages and watch them, listen to them. You can sign up for events. You can sign up for small groups, a lot of cool features, devotions are on there now and so forth. And so I just really encourage you with the app, you can give online that way as well. Um, by the way, if you need prayer for any reason or you're the ones that raise your hand, just make your way down here to the uh, front at the end of service. If you are new and you're visiting with us, we want to just welcome you to Calvary Chapel. Thanks for being here with us. Hopefully it was a great experience of worshiping the Lord and, and uh, the teaching of God's Word. But we'd love to meet you out in our commons, right out to my right. There's a center ring or connect ring. We'll have some volunteers and pastors out there. Be glad to answer questions you might have, give you some information about the church. And last thing is, thank you for being generous. You're a giving church. And I just always like to remind you, we have our boxes that you can give your offerings and tithes by the doors. You can give online. And again, it's an overflow of our worship, our relationship with the Lord as we're generous to the work of the Lord. So God bless you. Enjoy this nice fall day, right? <laughs>